Thank you, Doug. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for coming. On behalf of the BBA and its Diversity and Inclusion Steering Committee, I'm Bill Gabovich, General Counsel of Primark US Corp. We really appreciate everyone signing up today to learn how to be an effective ally. We hope you each walk away, or more accurately, hit leave meeting, with personal goals to be better as an ally at work and a desire to learn more. We will be providing you at the end with resources that you can access for more learning. The goal of this panel is to help individuals become more thoughtful and effective allies in the workplace. The word ally is coming up so frequently in wake of global protests against racism. Each news cycle, we see new examples of law enforcement brutality and murder against black and brown communities. This is a systemic, long-standing crisis. This panel grew out of the idea that our organizations and indeed our societies need more allies. And that being an ally doesn't mean a well-meaning person who would like to see change happen. It means someone who is an upstander that is going to participate and be actively anti-racist. If we need allies, we need more effective allies. We'll be learning today from incredible representatives of law firms, governments, in-house practices who are deeply involved in this work and have agreed to share their stories, thoughts, and experiences with us today. Thank you all for participating. You are in for a great hour. We have carved out time at the end for questions, and as Doug said, use the Q&A function you see on your screen. Without further ado, can I ask each of our panelists to introduce themselves, and I'll do it in alphabetical order. Laura, can you go first? Sure, thank you, Bill. Hi, I'm Laura Acosta. I'm the Managing Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Goodwin, a Global 50 law firm. Um, Laura's freezing up a little bit. Let's give her a Okay, we'll come back to Laura. Um, Naomi, can you introduce yourself? Sure, thank you, Bill. Naomi Carlisle. Um, I've been a practicing attorney for about 10 years now, and right now I hold the role as Director of Diversity and Inclusion at the Massachusetts Department of Public Health. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Naomi. Ben. Yes, thank you, Bill. Uh, good afternoon to everyone. My name is Ben Siegel. Uh, and until recently, I worked at Mintz Levin as the National Director of Client and Community Relations. I'm the current president of the Hispanic National Bar Association uh, for all New England, and currently I'm a candidate for Congress in the 4th Congressional District. Th thank you, Ben. And Jamie. You're on you. Thanks, Bill. Uh, I'm Jamie Whitney. I've been a lawyer at State Street for almost 18 years now. Um, I'm co-chair of our uh, Legal Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Um, before that, I worked at Goodwin Proctor and with Bill at Staples. Uh, I'm very passionate about diversity and inclusion, and it's really an honor to be here today. Excellent. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for joining. And Laura, we're going to go back to you. You froze up a little. Can you introduce yourself? Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Bill, for having me on the program today. 
my name is Laura Costa. I am the Managing Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Goodwin, a global 50 law firm. And I'm uh, seeking to be a passionate DNI champion in everything that I do um, at, at all times and something that I work on uh, deeply every day and, and look forward to discussing with all of you. And uh, I'm also a former recovering employment attorney. Excellent. Thank you, Laura. So the first question, let's start with just, I'm going to ask each of our panelists to talk about their input on what an ally is or should be. And Jamie, I'm going to start with you. Can you give us some examples from your experiences from someone who has, about people who have acted as effective allies? Uh, sure. So I think the, the key thing for an ally is to actually uh, be active, whether that's speaking up, um, but, but actually doing something. Uh, I was going to talk about one of my stories, but I asked a friend if I could borrow hers um, because I, I, think, <laughs> I think her story uh, really tells us how pervasive racism is and also provides an example of how much opportunity there is for each of us to be uh, an ally in our everyday lives. Um, so her story, obviously pre-COVID, she, um, my friend uh, is on a plane and finds herself in the middle seat between a white couple. So thoughtfully, she asks the couple if they'd like to switch seats so they could um, sit together. So the, the, the couple declines uh, and for say 45 minutes, they continue to talk over her to, to themselves. Uh, so she then again asks, uh, politely if they'd uh, like to trade seats so they could actually communicate together rather than over her. Um, and interestingly, that prompted the wife to call the flight attendant and tell the flight attendant that my friend was threatening her and calling her names. And here's where the ally part kicked in. So the flight attendant came over and said, uh, when the woman made those accusations, the flight attendant said, no, I've seen everything that's occurred. I, I saw her graciously offer her seat to you, and I've seen you speaking over her for 45 minutes. Um, so, so again, that's just a point in an everyday life, an everyday occurrence where there's some racism. And, it, it, you know, the, the, the flight attendant took action. Um, they didn't just sit quietly and observe what happened. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Laura, can you tell us your experiences and a story for you? Sure. I was going to weigh in on uh, the way in which small behaviors can have such a significant impact. Sometimes allyship is about standing up and speaking out. Sometimes it's about creating more equity in systems, and sometimes it's the very little things. And so for me, um, two examples come to mind. One is um, you know, working with somebody very senior in our organization, and I go and join committee meetings with um, this individual. And, you know, it's not the fact that he invites me into the meetings that makes him an ally to me. It's that he sees that I'm the junior member of the team. I'm no longer a practicing attorney, so there's obviously a distinction between the lawyer and the professional team in um, a large legal organization. Um, so he sees that dynamic, he sees who I am, and he pulls back a chair when I come into the room. And it's the littlest thing, but it's giving me, like really giving me that seat at the table so I feel like I belong. And I think belonging is a huge piece of how allies can 
um, play an important role in organizations. And I'll just take it to another space. So that's the very senior person pulling out the chair. But you know, I'll even go into a networking session, you know, um, type of session and have a very junior member of the organization, right? So I walk in and there's a young attorney that I work with very closely and he's in a circle um, with a group of friends and he just steps back and opens up that circle. So sometimes it's just about seeing people um, for who they are and giving them space because we have not done that for so long inside our organizations, really be conscious about inclusion. Thank you, Laura, those are great examples. I appreciate it. Um, Naomi. What would you like to talk about in terms of being an ally? Thank you. Um, you know, I think the important part of being an ally, I agree with um, what the co-panelists said, is about really listening and getting to understand the landscape of what's going on and understanding that there's always room to learn. Although you may be well-intentioned, um, you know, I think life is just a whole learning process and being patient in learning. Um, knowing when to step in, even if you don't know when to step in, but stepping in and stepping up. Um, and you know, not only having being a supporter in private, but being a public supporter. Um, and I can give a personal example. I mean, I have so many, but <laughs> I could think about when I first started my legal career in the public defender's office. And walking into the courtroom, you know, it was just daunting. You know, I've never represented anyone, and here I am, like I'm the one representing. And I walked in, and the first thing that happened was the court, court officer came to me, and he said, "Ma'am, you actually have to sit back there." So I didn't know what that meant. So I was like, okay, well, let me go sit back there. But I didn't realize he didn't understand that I was an attorney. And then the judge so loudly said, no, she is an attorney. And I really appreciated that day. That day cemented, you know, I was like, wow, like I got the support like from the top. And it was very vocal, very public, and it never happened again in that courtroom. But I can't say it never happened again in other courtrooms. But I, you know, that day that judge didn't even know me, but knew I was counsel and supported me that day. And I think that's the type of examples that you need, those type of experiences you need to help stop what's happening. Excellent, thank you for sharing, Naomi. And Ben, what do you have to say here? Yeah, no, of course. And I, I, I loved what uh, my fellow panelists have said. You know, for me, I think, and we'll talk about this a lot more, but allyship is about self-awareness and about education um, for yourself and about listening. Those are three really important concepts that we'll all talk about. You know, for me, um, there's been numerous times as someone who's Latino but has lighter skin where I actually get into a room and when someone learns I'm the president of the Hispanic National Bar Association, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, you don't look Latino. And what I have appreciated is the people who are next to me that say, well, tell me what a Latino looks like. Tell me who's, um, you know, which is, you know, and I really appreciate them understanding that, you know, we all come from different places. We all look different, but we can't be judging just based on kind of the cover of the book. Um, and that's been really strong and it happens a lot. Um, you, you know, and the other example is, well, your last name, my last name is Siegel. Um, that's not Latino either. You must not be Latino. So if I used my mom's maiden name, which is Fonseca, no one would ever have uh, asked those questions. And so when others stand up and say, well, you know, what, what does it matter that what their last name is? What does it matter what they actually look like? You know, learn who they are and who their story is. And then we can talk about this. In the community where people have stood up and said that on my behalf. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, Ben. That's a great example. Um, and I'm going to stay with you for a second. So we do want to focus uh, specifically on being an ally in the workplace. 
And there's a lot of different roles people who are supportive can play in the workplace. Um, but an ally is, is sort of more specific in some ways. Can you address the importance of being an ally in professional workspaces as, as opposed to sort of more broadly? Sometimes there's more at stake because it's not only people in the world, it's your coworkers and managers. Can you talk about that, please, Ben? Yes, no, of course. Well, look, let's just start with some statistics, right? We know in the legal profession, only 7% of lawyers are Asian American. Only 5% of lawyers are Latino. Only 4% are black. And LGBTQ, which is a harder ratio to figure out what that is, is even less so, right? And so we need to look at a, a, a atmosphere, a workplace environment that truly does have diverse minorities that are in that uh, environment that have been marginalized. And so I think we have to start with that. You know, we hear the terms mentor and sponsor, and now we're gonna talk about ally. Let, let's break those down just a little bit. Um, you know, mentor, someone that offers you advice, right? Um, some listening, offers you advice in a specific field on a specific topic uh, about your specific company. A lot of times we've seen in law firms or companies, your mentor is giving you advice on how to navigate that specific uh, legal uh, industry, the field, topic, or a company. Sponsor, someone who's going to advocate on your behalf. They're going to put their name and reputation on the line for you in a specific, again, industry, company, law firm that's specific. But Ally kind of incorporates both of those and far, far more, right? It's about knowing you, not just in where, who you are as a lawyer uh, and who you are as an employee in that company. It's about who you are as the whole person and what you're all about. You know, being a lawyer is about, for, uh, an ally is about forming a connection and a relationship. You know, it's also about recognizing, quite honestly, that you're not just a member of a marginalized group of the person that you're talking about, but you want to make a concentrated effort to better understand the struggles of the people next to you every single day. And I think this is, it, this is clear. You, you as an ally, you're taking on the struggles of the person you're talking about who's likely from a marginalized group as if they're your own. Um, and that's so different than a sponsor and so different than a, a mentor. That doesn't mean you 100% understand what those struggles are, but you're working on trying to understand what those struggles are and trying to understand the history behind it and where that person is coming from. The other piece about being an ally, especially in the workplace, is being an ally doesn't mean just being there when good things happen or when bad things happen. It means being there all the time and stepping up all the time to not just be a friend, but be more than someone that understands and wants and looks at their own self-awareness. And that's the last piece I want to hit on, which is many a time allies understand that, you know, they might be sometimes part of the problem but they're willing to really work on making sure that they're moving forward so they're not part of the problem. And so I think, don't think of yourself as an ally in the workplace that we're all part of the problem, all of us, right? But it's those who want to step up and say, I don't want the burden of these marginalized groups in the law place to only be on those individuals who are diverse. I want to take on some of that burden and weight myself to help them carry it. It won't be the same, but I'm in it with them because we're all in this together. Excellent point. Excellent point. Thank you, Ben. Um, Jamie, you want to talk about 
being an ally in the workplace as well? Sure. Um, I would echo what um, Ben says. I, I think, uh, you know, it's important to know that anyone can be an ally. You don't have to be, um, you know, a senior executive, although, you know, we were talking before and our CEO uh, mentioned the importance of allyship and tone from the top is great, but I, I think to actually change culture, as Ben said, it requires a certain level of awareness from all of us and for all of us um, to take some risk and, and be active allies. And I, I think we can all lead by example and, and really that's how the culture at work would change. Excellent, that empowers all of us to play our important role as- That's right. As an ally, excellent. So I'm going to turn to our two professionals, our DNI professionals on the panel today, um, Naomi and Laura. Um, and Naomi, I'm going to start with you. What are some concrete steps that allies can take in the workplace that demonstrate effective allyship? How do HR and DNI departments come into play here? Thank you, Bill. Um, you know, I think there's a lot. There's a lot that could be done, really. I mean, unfortunately, we have a lot of room for improvement. Um, but now is not. No, there's no time like the present to at least get started. I think the first part is, you know, being open to having the conversations. For a long time, we wanted to just sweep things under the rug. Don't really want to talk about this in the workplace. But the reality is, it, we can't escape it. You know, this is these. This is people's lives. Lives are on the line, and it affects people even if you don't know people personally who are dealing with it, it feels personal because you feel like it could be your father, your brother, your husband, your, your anyone in your family, could have been anyone. So I say, you know, open space for, keep, create an open space for discussion and create safe spaces, whether that means um, creating affinity spaces or bringing in a consultant to facilitate conversations, opening it up so people can actually learn from each other as to what's going on. Um, I think, you know, corporations, um, law firms, or agencies can make public statements. Um, this is what I mean. I think, I think allyship is so important to, to be an, a public ally and to make public statements and make it come from the top. You know, um, although anyone can be an ally, it's a stronger um, statement in a corporation when it comes from the top that, hey, this is what we're all going to do. We all support this um, and we all are going to be an ally. Um, and then don't stop at the public statement, you know, so then it seems performative. Um, you know, create steps for action. And a lot of people don't know, you know, well, what, what, should, what action should we take? And that maybe you can do an engagement survey and find out from the um, employees, you know, what would you guys like to see different? Like, where are we failing? Where, where do we have room for improvement? Um, you know, look at pay equity and make sure across the board that people are paid equally. Um, look at your promotion trends. Am I hiring, am I promoting women at the same rate as men? Are African-American women, um, you know, at a disparate advantage? So are things not equal? You know, so looking at that, um, review your hiring practices. Are your pools diverse? Are your panels diverse? You know, looking at all these things could really help affect change in the workplace. So when we say we want to have an inclusive environment, that we actually take steps to, to do that. And we also look for equity all, all across the board. Excellent. Thank you, Naomi. I appreciate that. Um, Laura, let me put it to you about being sure. you know, a professional in this field and how does it all work? What are concrete steps involved? Sure. So I would echo 100% what Naomi said. Like really looking at your whole system 
and looking to create equity through the whole system, right? So take your whole path from beginning to end for an employee, but also look for other places, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion doesn't just touch on the talent cycle. It touches on the way you're communicating as an organization. It touches on who you're, you know, giving um, your vendor contracts to. There are so many different places that you can create equity, but I'll actually take it to the individual level as well. So I think there's this piece where people are asking, what can I do as one person? And we had this framework that we created at Goodwin that we've been teaching out and the first step is really self-reflection. Like you've, you've really got to understand you and your part in all of this and how the ways in which, you know, you have privilege, you have had opportunity, you have the space already to speak up and act um, mean that you can play the ally part where somebody who is a member of an impacted community, whether in this case we're talking about here race or other communities can't and can't play that role on their own behalf. And so you need to understand your own um, sort of background experiences, how that's shaped you. So self-reflection, understanding, um, you know, where you've come from and, and, and what your part is, and then doing the work to understand the experience. So I think you know, Ben was really speaking about um, the need to um, try to stand as much as you can, and you never will be able to, but strive to stand in the shoes of somebody who is from a background different from yours. And really do the work before you even approach somebody to have the conversation. So people are hurting as Naomi referenced. And so in this moment, if you're approaching somebody and saying, you know, help me understand how I can support you. The analogy that we've been talking about at Goodwin is, you know, approaching somebody whose parent has died to ask them how to plan a funeral, right? So you wouldn't do that. You would do your work first. You'd give the person some time and space if, if this is somebody that you're not connected to otherwise. And then you can engage in that, you know, that outreach. So do your work. Um, be vocal. So the third prong is, you know, standing up and speaking up. So once you've done the work and you understand and you can be an advocate, speak up. You still need to hear the voices, though, as Naomi, Naomi was referencing, right? So there's this inclination. Um, I've seen a lot of white people. It's like once you learn about, you know, how I need to be an ally and all of the systemic issues and what I can do, then it's like I'm going to, you know, just jump forward, lead the charge and do all the things. And I think that we have to be really careful, and I'm speaking now as a white person, you have to be really, really careful not to sort of jump into that savior role and not hear what it is that people who have lived this their whole lives really want and need. Um, and then lastly, dynamically, is this piece that we talk about of being active and taking action. So speaking up is important, but then really taking concerted action. So if it's on an individual level, who am I, you know, in a law firm environment, who am I staffing on my teams? Um, who am I hiring? Who am I, you know, giving access to opportunity? Who am I, as Naomi referenced, promoting? Um, and that's a frame that uh, would encourage people to think about. Excellent. Thank you, Laura. I remember hearing Angela Clark from Fidelity talk about how do you review your people? If the people with lower, lower places in the hierarchy are more diverse, maybe you review them first when you're fresh in the morning and you're going through everybody and then by the end of the day, you're reviewing people higher up because just the tension of the day, the length of the day may make you review people differently um, and it may fall disparately on people in disadvantaged communities. Excellent, thank you. Um, ben, um, at an institutional level, there's obviously a lot we can do. How do you think about that in an organization to help foster allyship? No, thanks, Bill. I think it's a great question. And, and I think it's a great question right after what we just heard from Naomi and, and Laura. Look, number one, 
is whether you're at a uh, in-house or you are in the government or you are in a law firm, you have to be open, opening to listening, right? That's got to be part of it from day one. And so any time that either a law firm or again in-house can create opportunities for people to listen to each other, then we should be doing that. We're all so busy but we all seem to want to talk to each other sometimes about more shallow issues. Sometimes the deeper issues are really important just in our DNI committees or our minority attorney committees or LGBTQ plus or pride organizations, but all together. And two, that number two as part of that is we have to be aware of our implicit bias. We all have it, whether you're a person of color yourself now or you're someone who's not, we all have it. And so I, you know, law firms are doing more when it comes to implicit training, but they're not doing enough. And it's sometimes happening every three to five years. Uh, and it's sometimes not happening, especially in mid to smaller firms. We need to push for more implicit bias training that allows for listening within those groups. Some of the implicit bias, bias training is very frontal, but the best ones are when people are getting together in groups to really hear, hear perspectives and stories as part of it. The other thing is we've got to do our research about the history of the struggles that, that we're all in. We've got to educate ourselves. Black History Month and Latino Heritage Month, they're not just about one month. You can't just study Black History Month or learn about it for one month a year. It's got to be all year round. So I think organizations and companies and firms can do far better job educating people about Black history and Asian American history and Latino and LGBTQ+. You name it all the time. And um, we, we seem to educate each other on other things, but not about actually the struggles of the people that are our uh, colleagues next door. Look, part of this is self-awareness of um, how you participate in, in the impressive systems that are there. So we need to talk about that in our companies. What are we doing wrong that's actually participating in this? How can we be better as a law firm? You know, And so we need to do that as a whole group a lot more. What can we do to change the system? I think firms and companies can talk about that a lot more. Telling people, this is what we're doing. We've seen what we've done in the past. This is why we're doing it going forward. Um, two other quick ones is amplifying the suppressed voices. I'll give you a great example. We all know from a gender perspective that males tend to interrupt women all the time. In law school, in uh, boardrooms, it still happens. I I'm in so many rooms that that still happens. We need to do a better job. And when that's done, we are amplifying the voice of that person who was interrupted and saying, if we agree, that was a great point by Naomi. That was a great point by Laura. Oh, let me add to that as well. We need to do a better job of being supporting and amplifying that. Finally, we need to do work every single day uh, to be a better ally. And so many times we see these things in different law firms and companies about what's one thing you can do today for diversity or equity or, or inclusion. We need to be thinking about that more and hold each other accountable to showing the great things that we're all working on um, each day to be better allies. Excellent, thank you, thank you. Um, so this doing this is continual improvement process, very necessary. I know one of my concerns is making mistakes in it and in an attempt to be an ally. Um, and we know we need to, you know, look at what we've done in the past, deconstruct it, do better. But we also know we're gonna make mistakes along the way. Um, Laura, I'm gonna turn to you first. What's the best way for the, an ally 
to use their mistakes in a productive way. They're unavoidable, so how do we, sure. how do we use them productively? I think it's all about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I speak as a former lawyer when I say I don't think that lawyers are good at that yet. And I have a growth mindset around that, right? That part of the lawyer profession is to show up with the answers, to you know, be almost perfect in the way that we're um, you know, delivering on solutions, we're providing services to our clients. And so I think in all of that, we almost, you know, we become impervious. And so then talking about difficult things becomes very hard because what if I do say the wrong thing? And so I think in this space more than any other, letting down your guard, um, accepting that you're going to be wrong, accepting that you can grow if you make a mistake. Um, it's more than anything for, for me, it's about a mindset and really adopting that mindset that I want to be better at this. And so I'm willing to let go of the fact that I can't be perfect from day one. Excellent. Thank you, Laura. And Jamie, you've worked with me. You know, I make mistakes. How can we use mistakes in a more productive way? Should I use you as, as an example, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, you know, we talk a lot about State Street, um, about how uh, to encourage discussion, as Laura says, and, you know, I, I think we need to get over being discomfort. Um, I think the general feeling is that it, it's better to have the conversation than not have the conversation, even if it's imperfect. And, you, you know, people will understand that and, and you can have uh, you know, a sidebar, if you like, afterwards to say how something could have been done better. But, but it's important to have that conversation and for everyone in the workplace to feel empowered. Um, so I mentioned at State Street, we've had this great tone from the top where our CEO had an all-employees call. Um, and then our executive managers have reached out to people of color um, and also reinforced the message. But but like everyone said, I think it's really important for us uh, to all feel empowered to, to move into something that may be uncomfortable, realize we may do it imperfectly, but that's still a much better outcome than not doing anything at all. Excellent. Excellent. I think you're, you know, you're also speaking to people in the diverse communities to help allies deal with their mistakes and make them productive and have the conversation, as you say. Thank you, Jamie. So when acting as an ally, a lot, of re, a lot of people's first reaction really is to ask their black colleagues, what can we do? How can I do it better? And Laura mentioned this a little bit, but I want to go a little deeper into that. And Naomi, I want to turn to you um, to explain why that strategy might not be the best way to be an effective ally. Thank you, Bill. Um... You know, it's interesting, like, especially for attorneys, like, you know, when we're investigating, we're kind of taught to go to the source, right? So some people think, you know what, I'm not really sure what the Black community is going through. Let me go find that Black colleague and ask them, you know, how do they feel? So th I think the problem with that is, especially if you don't have a prior relationship with the person, you know, like, you kind of never really spoke to the person, maybe said hi in the hallway, but now you want them to speak for the entire race. And that's a heavy burden, you know, they can't, no one person can speak for everyone, right? And, you know, kind of like the example Laura gave earlier, like if you just lost someone, you most likely won't want to talk about it, you know, and unless the person brings it up to you. So going to the black colleague, and you have to imagine you're not the only person going to that colleague. 
So throughout the day, the person comes in, they're happy, like, okay, ha, huh, I'm at work, maybe I'll take a little break from this. And then from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. or, you know, as most of us till 7 or 8 p.m., people are coming to you and saying, well, what do you think? Um, tell me more. And, um, and then I think what's even worse is when you try to um, explain how the person should feel. So saying, you know, why are you so upset about this? Like, why are people so upset? Or why aren't you more upset about this? You know, this could be, and so it's like, you will, you have to constantly think, should I be mad at work? Should I not be mad at work? Like, how do I, and it's like, it's so much pressure. It's pressure and it's, it's unnecessary, you know, um, where there's so many resources out there that can educate you on what what's really going on. Why are people protesting? How did we get here in 2020? You know, like instead of thinking about, wow, this is a big inconvenience, maybe really facing like, wow, this, there must be a real problem, even if you didn't know about it, you know, and take the time now to learn about what is going on. Um, I, I completely understand how people can grow up in an area and just never really been exposed to this and not really understand. Um, but at the same time, as an adult, you know, and especially as professionals, we have a duty to educate ourselves. Well, you know, all of us here are attorneys. We, no one was born with that law degree, but we went and obtained it. You know, so taking the time to not only say, wow, racism is bad, but actively being anti-racist and in educating yourself and educating others while you're not carrying the burden um, to say, here's what's going on. You know, if, if we're in a storm right now, you never want to ask the person that feels like they're sinking to adjust your sails. You know, it's time that you get gather yourself, gather those who want to understand and educate yourself. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Naomi. And as I mentioned at the top of the uh, session, we are going to be uh, giving everyone a list of resources that our um, committee member, Jamil Moore, put together um, that can be um, a source of learning and self-education. Um, so I hope people will utilize that. Um, one of the things we talked about in putting this panel together is, as you can all see, we're on Zoom for the panel. So we're now in a virtual world for a period of time. And there's a lot of decreased interaction with humans in, in physical space. So that obviously adds another dimension to supporting colleagues and being actively anti-racist and an effective ally. Laura, do you have any thoughts on how we can be virtual allies in this time that we're in? Sure. I think it requires to do what we've tried to do in workplaces before now, right? We've all been spotting what are the issues, where are the gaps in opportunity, where are the gaps in connection in a, you know, in a physical workplace. And then now that we're virtual, what are those things that are coming up, right? So who is meeting with whom, right? Is it, are people reaching out to the people that are right at their fingertips or are they reaching out to everybody on the team to make sure that people are you know, doing okay, they have access to the resources that they need, they have access to the opportunities that they need. So that sort of proactive um, outreach, I think is really important, making sure everybody has some level of connection. But it can be really subtle things, like we started noticing that there were some people who would turn on their Zoom cameras and some people who wouldn't, right? So, you know, I, I have this virtual backdrop up, you can't see my background, but who, you know, some people at the outset of all of this weren't turning on their screens because of the space that they live in. Um, it may be that somebody's not turning on the screen, especially in this moment, because you're just so overwhelmed every day by those questions that Naomi is referencing that, you know, small talk on a screen is just 
too much. And so there's, I think there's just a lot of digging, especially people who walk in majority shoes every day have to do to understand what are those really subtle experiences in a virtual environment. We may have done the digging in the physical environment um, that we need to understand and then, you know, talk to people and shift things if we need to. Excellent. Excellent. Good thoughts. Um, before we get to the question segment, and we're actually running a little ahead on time, which is great. I think it's uh, in the virtual world, you don't wait that five and 10 minutes at the beginning of a meeting to make sure everybody gets their coffee and walks in. You just start, which is wonderful. It means we'll have more time for questions, and I can see some are getting formed, so I appreciate that. Um, but I'm going to give each of our panel members another chance just to talk about things they're thinking about, what some takeaways they want to give our large audience today on being an effective ally, um, what people can do and how we can make more change. So Jamie, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Uh, before answering that, I'd like to um, thank Naomi for the point she made uh, and reinforce that uh, I think allyship is something that we all individually own. We shouldn't look for minorities to train us. Um, I think, Laura, you reinforce this too. Like, you really have to feel the sense of urgency and ownership yourself. Um, in answer to your question, Bill, uh, for me, and I think Laura touched upon it, um, it's really getting comfortable with the, with the discomfort and, and seeing um, the growth opportunities that exist with uh, discomfort and, and taking risks and encouraging others to take risks. So I think, you know, I'll give you a personal example. Um, when I was extremely uncomfortable, uh, I was at uh, my law firm and I think a first year associate and a second year friend of mine who's Latina used to wear silk suits, which by the way, they were completely appropriate for work. But a partner there told her that her suits were too sexy. So I was, she was upset to the point of wanting to quit her job. And I was mortified, horrified, couldn't believe what I heard. Um, and it really upset me. I had trouble sleeping. So I was terrified of speaking to that partner. Um, but what I did do is go to one of the partners that um, I felt comfortable talking to raise the issue and uh, eventually that partner spoke to the other partner and that person gave an apology to my friend, which it didn't stop the awful thing that happened, um, but I still feel like it was the right thing to do and got somewhat of a good outcome. Excellent, thanks for sharing that personal story. Um, Naomi, what are some last words from you before we get to the questions? Thanks, Belle. Um, you know, I think that I understand why the conversations are difficult, right? Um, as a nation, we have a very difficult and painful history, you know, with generations and generations suffering. Um, the only thing worse than that history is currently living in it, in this day and age, where we're supposed to be so ahead of it. And I think that that's why we all are accountable to, to shift the environment and to not have the mistakes that we've done before as a nation and to help us move forward. So what I say to people here, you know, is that, you know, understand what our history has been, look to see so that we don't repeat it and um, start today. You know, even if you don't know what to do, start today. And anything counts really in help. 
Um, even if you, you may mess up, like no one's perfect starting out. Um, but, and don't be afraid to mess up because, you know, you're trying. And, uh, you know, what I like to say is to people is, Think about if this was you, if this was your family member, if this was your child going through this, how would you advocate for them? How would you amplify their voices? How would you make sure they never have to go through this another day again and do that? That's, that's the first step on what to do. That's a great way to frame it. I like that very much. Um, ben, some of your words on allyship. Oh yeah, and I, I absolutely love what everyone's putting together. And I just, for one second, do wanna pause and just thank you, Bill, for helping to put this panel together. Uh, this was your idea of coming forward, and I think you deserve a ton of credit of you being an ally, quite honestly, for probably every community that's out there. You're a prime example of that. Um, you know, for me, I think one thing we haven't talked about, uh, two things really, is being an ally is a team sport. You don't need to do it by yourself. And so, you know, get with other people in your work. Learn how to be allies together. You're not all by yourself in it. Um, two, we know in law firms and in-house that a lot of things happen by example, leadership by example. And so getting our leaders in these places to work on being allies is going to have a, tr uh, a trickle-down effect to a lot of other people thinking about it. Finally, and I, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't mention this, is look where we are in our current time, right? We, uh, I've been to over 50. marches. We're in a time where you can go out there and really listen to the perspectives and voices and stand there and be supportive. And I know COVID-19 is there, so do it in a social distance, safe way. But we are living in a time right now, and Naomi, you just said this, that you actually can learn a lot and you can connect to people and be better allies by standing up and speaking out and using the collective power of your voice right now. And so I encourage you to do that. There are many more. I mean, we're in the middle of Pride Month, too, where there's tons of get-togethers right now, both virtually and in person. Take those, those opportunities and do it with a friend. Do it with a colleague at work to go and listen. Just do, go there and listen and observe. And I'm more powerful um, as an ally. And quite honestly, you're going to be more powerful as a human being because of doing that. Excellent. Thank you. Sorry, I couldn't cut off your microphone during those words about me. We didn't need to hear that, but I appreciate them. Um, Laura, let's end with you before we go to questions. I think I'd just amplify what Ben and Naomi and, and Jamie as well have already said, which is um, do something. Um, do something hard, though. I think it's too easy, especially for lawyers to intellectualize this. It's like, I've read all the books. You know, I'm really well aware of what, you know, racism is and what it takes to be an anti-racist. But you've actually, we talked about discomfort. I think you've got to start to do something uncomfortable for you in order to model and demonstrate that um, you're going to be part of the change and, and help, you know, grow that for other people. Um, also, taking it out of head to heart is, you know, this whole piece of humanizing all of this. So, you know, again, reading about it is a great first step and encourage, you know, there's so many good resources that um, were put together and that we'll share around after the panel. And it's not that we shouldn't do that, it's that we should do that and. And so do that and make it human, whether that's, you know, going out and hearing voices right now in this moment or finding some other way. I was, I've always been compelled by um, what I've learned about the pride movement and the ways in which 
LGBTQ rights have been advanced so quickly in this country, and it has to do with the human element and proximity that people, you know, many, many people in this country have somebody in their life who is LGBTQ. And so then you understand personally what's going on and you do what Naomi was talking about, which is how would I help this person if they were my brother, my sister, my parent, my friend. And so that I think is just so critical to, to all of this is humanizing it. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate that. Um, before we get to questions, I just want to thank, and I will at the very end again, but thank our panelists. This took a lot of preparation and thought. They really, you know, it's an important topic and they wanted to get their ideas across on top of everything else going on in their lives these days with the crisis we're in, the multiple crisis that we are in. So thank you to our panelists for presenting today. And um, now we'll get some questions. I'm going to start with a question that one of our committee members helped plan the event, Alex Gray puts in the chat, um, which is to make sure we talk for a minute about the role that allies can play for people with disabilities. Because disability community also needs um, help with allies and people with disabilities are members of other marginalized communities such as black, brown and LGBTQ. Um, can someone, does someone wanna weigh in on the panel about helping people um, with disabilities and being an ally for them? I'll speak on that briefly, Bill. Sure. Um, part of my role right now is the ADA coordinator and receiving um, accommodation requests. And I think that particularly with the COVID-19 pandemic, that there's been a significant increase and it has, um, you know, really hurt anybody with a disability at this point um, because either having a pre-existing condition or things shifting so quickly from going to work and now having to work from home and not having the same supports. Um, I think that, um, I hope that everyone has, um, I'm sure everyone has an ADA coordinator, but um, in addition to getting that those people connected as being a resource to anybody with a disability. Sometimes you won't know that someone is disabled, so you're not really sure how to help, but if you do know um, what's going on, asking them how can you be of assistance, what can we do to make this easier for you? What supports can we provide you at home so that you're effective, um, or do you need to come to the workplace and offering um, supports to do that as well? Um, it really can go, a small gesture can really um, mean a great deal for someone that is already suffering on a daily basis. And, and Bill, I would, I would just add to that two other things is, you know, mental health is a very broad, um, sorry, it, you know, disability is a very broad topic. We know in the law, there's many with mental health challenges and many with substance use challenges. So when you think of disabilities, you know, you might have a stereotype of what that means and you want to really broaden your kind of mindset around that. Um, and so uh, both in terms of what some physical disabilities are and mental disabilities that are there. And for me, I think it's also just similar to all the other ways of being an ally to marginalized communities. It's the same thing with those with disabilities. You know, do you know someone who's dis uh, disabled? Have you learned about them? Have you learned about their struggles as a society that we're dealing with. It's similar to the black community, Latino community, Asian American community. Um, and it's so, you know, don't look at it as a completely separate box, but they have different issues that they've gone through and different types of marginalization that they've gone through as well. Um, and so I just wanted to put that out there. The only other thing I want to say, cause I meant to say this after Laura spoke, cause it was really great at the end, was I remember my first day at Mintz um, where Mr. Mintz himself, who, who has since passed away, uh, said to me, you know, you want to be, uh, we want people who are going to be really good uh, attorneys at Mintz Levin. You've got to be a great attorney, but I don't want you here unless you're a tremendous and great and better person. 
And I think that's what being an ally is, is being truly a great person and human being. So just th I was thinking about that while Laura was uh, wrapping up on her summary thoughts. Great. Well, thank you, Ben. There's a lot of great questions. I'm going to just pick a couple to get to, I think, you know, I'd like to hear answers on, but all, I wish we had time for all of them. One is, um, what is some good advice for creating an affinity group or support group in the workplace? Does anyone want to? Weigh in on that. Laura? Sure, yeah, I'm happy to weigh in. So a few of the elements that we've thought about are, um, you know, what are you really trying to accomplish? So I say that because affinity groups can be really powerful spaces where people can connect, have safe space, um, engage in dialogue that maybe the group can't have in other spaces. Once those affinity groups mature, I think that there's um, there's a, a, a time and a space when um, they become more strategic in nature. And so I, I, you know, we've always talked about at the outset, address, you know, trying to identify like what are we really getting at here because it can help you figure out the structure for those affinity groups. I think it is important to have somebody senior, like an executive sponsor who is involved from very early days, because otherwise you're having this conversation about what the challenges are and what the issues are. And if there's no channel up to leadership to address those issues, then it can become, I think, very frustrating for the group very, very quickly. So those are just a couple of quick thoughts is, you know, what, are, what is your goal? Um, identify that and get somebody senior involved in early days. Excellent. Thank you, Laura. Those were some good, good, important steps, getting that executive sponsor, I'm sure, uh, make sure it's more defensible and, and sustainable. Um, so there's a question about, um, on, on, the, on the question um, about, from Chris Hart, speaking a little more about allyship and how it's shared responsibility and shared accountability, um, that we live in a shared community that we're all invested in. Does someone want to talk more about sort of how we make sure allies get together about sharing it, how we all understand it ourselves in whatever role we're in, that this is a shared responsibility. I'm happy to talk again Laura, quickly. Sure. I think one thing that has happened in many organizations is that the, um, the underprivileged or the marginalized communities have taken on the work of the work of diversity and inclusion. And so women are advancing gender issues, communities of people of color advancing topics around race, ethnicity, and so on. And it, it, it as you are you know, indicating in the question, Bill, it's really got to be everybody who's taking on an active role. So I'm starting to see a bit of a shift right now. I think that this energy that is in our environment outside of our organizations is really pushing in and there are so many people who have, you know, kind of thought that diversity and inclusion was, um, you know, something that, you know, the organization had under control or that people were taking care of, you know, uh, th and that can be the risk of a DNI team. I'll be very candid is that people sort of think that they've outsourced the work to, you know, this one group who's going to save the day. And as we've been talking about throughout, it's got to be everyone, especially leaders. Um, and so we've seen ally groups starting to pop up. So we've had some organic um, you know, partners reaching out to partners and saying, let's start a book group so we can start our own learning. And I actually kind of like that model um, because again, it says, hey, you majority group have to do the work here and then you can be um, in support and stand by as allies. 
Yeah, and I, I would I would also just add is look, you're all in this together in a law firm, right? When you're you're only going to be as successful as the most vulnerable in the in, in a law firm or in your company, and so you know it's kind of like a brother and sister in a way. You want them to succeed because it's going to strengthen the family. You want every employee to be happy and healthy and not feel alone and not feel afraid and feel welcome and inclusive because when they do that, they're more productive. And when they're more productive and they feel good about themselves, so are others around them. And so is the company and law firm moving forward. And I think we have to look at that. There's a lot of time in to what's happening on an individual level to what how well law firms and companies and other organizations are doing together um, and I think there's a lot of statistics around that but um, it's something we need to be aware where we really are all one uh, one organization one company and all the individuals in there need to be all lifted up so we're all working together great thank you Ben and there's a question in the chat, and I'm going to link it with a question I have. So very specifically, if you're a minority, it says, we're currently being asked, quote, how are you feeling? And the question is, how do you respond to that question, both in a professional manner that can lead, and also something that can lead to positive change? And I'm going to attach my question of, you know, when I see, you know, to be honest, when I see, uh, you know, black colleagues or black people in the world, I want to just run up and say, you know, all black, all black. Um, Black Lives Matter, I'm with you, but obviously I don't do that. That would sort of be, you know, it's not the right way to react. Are there things that people in the majority can say to others to support you, um, you know, to, to just let you know I'm, I'm here with you? Those two questions. Anyone want to address those? Thank um, you, Neil. Bill, it's always okay to say Black Lives Matter, okay? I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Um, you know, I know there's a big discussion about that, about all lives and blue lives. And yes, we know all lives matter. We're talking about the ones that are being killed right now. And that's what we want to amplify. Um, so I just wanted to point that out first. Um, <laughs> secondly, um, so the question was whether it's okay to ask people or how do you ask people? Yeah, it, well, it's really, if you're the minority getting the question is how it's framed. How do you answer that? Because people, you know, are asking that in a professional way and way that moves people towards change? I don't know the, I don't have the magic bullet, but I can just say what I've tried to do. Um, for me, it depends on the day. Um, you know, some days I'll say, you know, um, everything going on right now is really difficult. I'm just not ready to speak on it. And that usually shuts it down if I'm just not prepared to speak on it. Um, you know, it's hard to go to work and just say, you know, I'm outraged. Um, you know, you can't really go and do that. But you can just say like, I think you use adjectives that could um, someone could empathize with. So in saying like, you know, everything that's happening is hurtful. Like this, what's going on is scary. Um, you know, um, it, it requires you to be vulnerable, but sometimes you don't want to be vulnerable. And that's why I say, if you want to shut it down, just say, no, this is difficult. This is hurtful. I don't, I'm just not ready to speak on it. Um, but if you want to affect change, you could say, I think you, you switch it back on the, on the person who's asking and say, you know, I don't really know how to feel right now. Like, how do you feel about this? Or what do you think we can do as a company? Um, and, and, you know, as attorneys, we love to flip it back on the other side. So we all have a, a degree to do that. So I think we use it in this case if you're not ready to speak. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Anyone else want to weigh in on that one? I love that, Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the only other extra little piece, and I, it's, it's right on, but I think we have to acknowledge that 
you know, the other person, as a person of color, that someone comes to me to say something, I do want to just acknowledge thank you for actually at least coming forward because for them, that might have been the brave step. I may not be ready to speak uh, or the person they speak to is not ready detail, but let's acknowledge too that they've made for them what appears to be a step to try to understand me better and to try to reach out um, because I think that's important as well. You that's have to be in the mind. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say you have to be in the mind space to say that because when you feel like you're being attacked or you're under siege, it's hard to be thankful for anything, honestly. Very fair. Very fair. Thank you. Well, we have a lot of other questions, but I'm gonna be mindful of everyone's time. Um, and just bring it to a close now. Uh, first, I just want to thank everyone for coming. We had a tremendous um, response to this event. Um, and as you'll see, we're talking about our survey. Um, we're looking for other topics. We want to make sure the Boston Bar continues to play its leadership role in making our society better and helping us be better people and better lawyers. Um, I want to thank Jasmine Jean Lewis and Chris Hart, co-chairs of the DNI Steering Committee at the Boston Bar. I want to thank our planning committee for this event, Natasia Hensi, Alex Gray, Punam Rogers, most especially Jamil Moore and Stevie Leahy. Thank you very much. You really put this all together. To the panelists who really share personal vulnerable stories, who have put themselves out there to you know, give this incredibly important advice to take time out in preparing and presenting. And so Ben, Naomi, Jamie, and Laura, um, I really appreciate you guys stepping up and helping us all become better allies um, and helping this community move forward. Um, and to the BBA, Doug Newton and Solana Gross, without your support and ability, this is an idea that started earlier this month and we're doing it this month. That's really incredible and to get such a great turnout. Um, Doug, if I can ask you to talk about two quick things, the survey and the resources and how people will get them. Um, and then we can uh, go about our day. Thank you all so much. Doug Newton. Thank you very much, Bill. So two things that we will be sending out after this program are a brief survey, just asking a couple of questions on what you enjoyed, what you might not have enjoyed, and what sort of program you might, programming you might like in the future. And then also the resources. We have a great document on some additional resources related to this important topic, and we will be sending that out shortly as well um, to everybody who registered for this program. If for some reason you have any difficulty accessing these or if you didn't receive them, please don't hesitate to reach out via email dnewton at bostonbar.org. Thank you all. Thank you all for coming today. Have a great day and let's be effective allies who are actively anti-racist.